0: Society Podcast. This is Franz Bowen. This is Trav Weeks. Sir, and with another installation of the Driven Society Podcast. I'm gonna switch this, switch this uh intro up next week. You know what I'm saying? I've been doing this for like a year and a half now. I'm <laughs> not sure. Not sure about it no more. But Jeez. we do have another dope guest in the building, a family member. He's actually the reason Travis and I know each other. Um now wow. that I think about it. It's crazy. Um, he is the CEO of Light Rock Holdings. And the co-founder of Flume Internet, Mr. Brandon Getz. Woo! So What's
1: going on, fellas? Happy to be here.
0: So far, so good, man. Happy to have you. Uh, this, this is like a full circle moment for us because um, we definitely met uh in college. We yeah. had, I think we had like Western Sin. So I seen this gentleman um pull off in a in a brand new um Sweet. Spanking M35. <laughs> I was like, yo, what do you do? <laughs> like, uh, it's like I do real estate. It's like you should get your license and you know, we should work together and stuff. And I was like, shoot. And two weeks, I, I got my. He said that right away? Well, yeah, I, I guess we could. We had been cool for a little while and then it okay. you was know, just something, but just to give the, the abridged version. And, um, but yeah, like, uh, two weeks i got my license then i uh, started working at century 21 and then i met travis one day and then we've been cool ever since which is crazy it was
2: like i think yeah. uh like 10 years ago now Ten more. Yeah. Yeah. my context is uh i remember um is why brandon is, is, is such a visionary i remember uh was about 10 plus years ago, and I wanted to go into real estate because I always wanted to be rich, right? I know real estate was the way it was my first, like, um, I guess you could say passion or this industry that I knew for sure I wanted to be in. And I was doing, um, I didn't go to, I didn't finish college in Jersey, but I just knew that um, I was just good at, like, working at um, finance jobs. I was in banking. I was, I was good at having a good job. And then, um, I think I had one call with Brandon, he was like, get your license and come to the city, like straight like that. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Did I? He was like, "Yo, if you're really serious about it, get your license and hit me up. A month later, I get my license in the city. Um, I come to New York, um, my life completely changed. If I didn't come to New York, I wouldn't be, or I wouldn't have gone through this crazy journey that um, I've gone through when them met Franz or one I've probably done half the stuff that um I'm doing now. So, you know, definitely grateful for for Brandon being the one to like just, you know, push me and you, you know what I'm saying? To like just get busy. You know what I mean? Like get to it. Like he was the youngest dude I think I've seen just getting to it. Like getting right. to it. No, he doesn't. Legally, anyway. is Brandon, different. <laughs> he, he, he doesn't, uh he doesn't know mom. Um, um, what's the word? He doesn't know mom um, um, talk about that a little bit so much. He doesn't, He doesn't rejoice in those type of things anymore. But what we saw was the L-Whip. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? In the office. Had his own office. Like, what? Who was that, Brandon? He was like 21, 22. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, nah. Like, you know what I mean? We got to figure out what's going on over here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, man, the journey started and um, it got extremely interesting ups, downs. But I'm just so happy to hear that we're here now. I'm happy about the work Brandon is doing, the journey he's been on, like I mean, it's so powerful. Um, so amazing to see where he's at. He's an a brilliant brother. Um, um sure. minister as well, too. He's a just a, a great guy and um an example too. An example of just how to like just how to move right as a man, you know. So um we appreciate you um just having this conversation with us and um, you know, jump on board. So first of all, Bro, if you could introduce yourself, you know, tell them who you are and, and what you do. And we're going to take it back for a minute and then, you know, um, get to where we're at now.
1: I appreciate that, man. I'm humbled by that, uh, that intro. Uh, you guys read it just like how I wrote it. Uh, so I, I <laughs> appreciate that. I just, you know, follow the instructions. But uh, no, I'm humbled by that, man. I really appreciate that. Um, listen, I am I'm not as sophisticated as Travis and Franz, so I don't have much to say about me. I'm just a guy uh, from East New York, Brooklyn, born and raised, uh, parents are, you know, my father's an immigrant from Barbados, uh, his idea or his family's idea of a birthday present was getting their own egg on their birthday. That was, that was their birthday present growing up, getting their own egg and they would look forward to that. So that's where I come from. My mother didn't learn how to read or write until she got to junior high school, Uh, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, I, I, I don't come from money. I don't come from, um, crazy contacts. I just come from very good people who are God fearing and who have character and integrity and who treat people right and are honest. And that's just kind of where I come from. Um, and then out of that, um, I became my own person. And with all that my parents are, uh, I became this guy who had all of that plus a lot of ambition, like. A lot of ambition, um, and so that has never really changed. It's it's evolved in many different ways. Um, I'm still a go hard, but you know, not like not in the way I was before. I like think that just comes with age and wisdom, uh, and humility. Uh, so you know, I, I've been in real estate since I was 18 years old. Uh, got my first property around 18. Somewhere around there, East New York. Um, and I've never stopped since. I've been in the the game for about 16 years now. Uh, Been in real estate in practically every capacity you could think of. Development, investment, worked for Don Peebles, who at the time was the largest African-American real estate developer in the country. Uh, Did private equity with him. Um, Started my own company to uh, develop and purchase properties in in mainly the Northeast. Uh, Most recently, we, we were doing developments in New York, New Jersey, Philly, uh, we have a portfolio in Philly and New Jersey, uh, and uh, we most recently signed a deal to develop 180 townhomes in Dallas. Um, as a matter of fact, we had the, the appraisal of the land today. So it's about almost 16 acres in Dallas, uh, right right outside of the city. So that's what I'm doing, and then uh, also doing some prop tech stuff. Started another company. Uh, we're, we're doing some really cool stuff around uh, prop tech, which I think is great. Um, that We can talk about later, but. No, that's, that's me in a nutshell. Um, I'm a father. I'm a husband. Uh, I'm an avid reader. Um, uh, I'm, a, I'm finishing up my master's degree currently in government, uh, which excites me. Um, great information. Um, and that's me in a nutshell, man. And I guess the, I guess the cherry on top for driven society is that I'm related to Travis. I guess that's like the, I guess that's the highlight of my story. And I have known France since, uh, since my undergraduate days. So I guess that's like the that's my biggest achievements, I guess, as it relates
2: to driven Society. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I just realized that I didn't even mention that. Like, yeah, this is my godbrother, y'all, cousin, family. Like, they actually, our parents grew up with each other. Um, Barbados, you already know. Um, Alicia, uh, my sister. Um, so, yeah, so uh, that's why we, we're just extra happy to have Brandon on. And it's going to be a free flowing, free, free flowing conversation, B. So, yeah, that's, you,
1: know, those you are with the us. Those are the best kind of conversations.
2: But a question just came to mind while you were talking, anyway. uh, Since I've known you for so long, and um, you've always had this ambition, but I want to ask, what's the biggest difference between you then and you now? Wow,
1: we do not have time. (laughs) Oh man, the biggest difference. I guess this is it in a nutshell for me. I guess there's a lot of I'm 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 almost a different person than Mm -hmm. I was. Almost a different person to be honest with you um, and i'm and I'm grateful for who I was then um, I'm grateful for who I am now, but I prefer who I am now um, I'm a lot more humble uh, than I was then uh, mm. but that's not even to me that's not even the biggest difference. I think for me the biggest difference because I think this encapsulates it the best. The biggest difference is, is that before I was success driven uh, and now I'm purpose driven mm. and so you know, still ambitious, still all of that, but the biggest thing for me is I no longer chase success at all. Right, that's the biggest difference for me. And, gotcha. with, and with chasing purpose, in my in my experience, you 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 meet humility, you meet uh, a, a deeper level of maturity, a deeper level of empathy, a deeper level of compassion, a deeper level of vision, uh, a more impactful level. I think uh, for me, that's what my experience has been. So. Success being success driven in many cases, not in all, but in many cases can lead you to be very arrogant. It can lead you to, you know, a bunch of other things. But so for me, being purpose driven changed a lot in me uh, and for me.
2: Absolutely. Um, and we'll get to that too, like the 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 role that ego plays in in, in life and, and even in, in a man's life, right? Like um, I read this book um by uh I believe it's Ryan Holiday, Ego is the enemy that, that- yeah, read that. That changed my, life, changed my life. Honestly, I didn't know how the ego plays such a, a role in my life. I didn't know how mm-hmm. how real it is. And then when I let it go, everything seemed, yep. seemed easier. And for me, my process was like the only thing that really like shakes me up a little bit about me me now is that I'm not that competitive like that no more. And I, and I sometimes I look at it like is that a bad thing? But I just feel that urge. I can relate. I can relate. I just want my peace and I'm like, I'm happy with my peace and my love, but I don't feel that. Yep. And I, sometimes I look at people who I know are competitive and driven and I'm like, yeah. wow, like it's so interesting Like I don't feel like that anymore. Um, like, you know what I mean? I'm, I've done the work, yep. but uh, talk to me about that. Do you feel that? Cause I th- I can tell back then the way you was killing oh, everything. Like, oh,
1: I was a lion. I'm still a lion. I'm just a different lion. now. I'm, I'm, I'm more so Mufasa than Simba now. You mm-hmm. know? Uh, not just in age, I ain't that old, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just more, you know, I think, so here's, here's how I describe it, right? So I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but when I was 19, I watched this uh, 2020 special. This is while I was, you know, driving the big fancy cars and whatever, and I was like an animal just working nonstop, making crazy money at an early age. I mean, closing deals. I'm the youngest guy in the room, only black kid in the room, black person in the room. I mean, Travis Surprise could tell you. So, you know, like I, that was me back then. I was just, go, go get it, gotta get it, get money, get money. Uh, get rich or die trying, you know, I gotta get successful or die trying. And uh, one day I was watching, you know, the original Barbara Walters and her co-host on 2020, and they had this guy, this Catholic priest. Who started this organization that's still around today? You can actually Google it. It's called Homeboy Inc. Homeboy Industries. Either Homeboy Inc. or Homeboy Industries mm-hmm. in California. And what he would do was he would bring um, ex uh, gangbangers, ex cons into his organization, his nonprofit, uh, and he would teach them how to, you know, be reassimilated back into society. Uh, they would have tattoos all over their face. So, you know, in L.A. The gang culture is a lot different uh, than in New York, so. You know, they would have tattoos all over their face and he would help them with tattoo removal. He would, you know, show them how to run a business. So they had like a screen print, a t-shirt screen printing business, a part of the organization. He would hire them to do that and show them how to do it. One of the things that they also did was graffiti removal. So he would hire a lot of these guys to go around LA painting over graffiti. And one day a group of guys uh, that was a part of the organization got into it while they were doing graffiti removal. They got into it with some other guys One thing led to another, somebody ended up getting shot. So uh, they interviewed this detective who was like the head of the gang force um, uh, in, in, in LA at the time. And he was basically investigating this case. And the reporter asked him, listen, what do you think about Homeboy Inc.? What do you think about them? He was like, I think it's a failure. It's not successful. It's a front for more illegal activity. They should shut it down. These people are criminals. They don't deserve another chance. This thing is a failure. It's not a success. The same reporter went to the guy who started the organization, the Catholic priest, and was like, what do you have to say to people who say that your organization is not a success? And he looked in the camera and said words, my, my evolution started that night. I didn't realize it until many years later, but that night started my evolution and it was almost 10 years in the making that evolution. So he said, when she said, what do you have to say to people who think that your organization is not a success? He said words that shocked me. He said, I was never called to be successful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I said, what? Then what are you doing it for? If you're not called to be successful? The man said, and my jaw was on the floor. I'm like, I'm confused. He could be speaking. He might as well have been speaking Greek. Cause I'm just like, what are you talking about? you weren't called to be successful. What do you mean? What what, what other reason is there? He said, I wasn't called to be successful. I was called to be faithful. That changed. I didn't understand all of what he meant in that moment, but over the years, those words stuck with me even to this day. They stuck with me and I realized what he meant. What he was saying was that I can't measure what I'm doing in terms of success Because the moment I introduce success, I have to also be willing and ready to introduce the idea of failure. Because because with success, once you get what you've been looking for, you look for the next thing that you need to make you feel successful. So you're never really successful because you're always moving the goalpost. It's like a unicorn, you can never really reach it. Because you're always looking for the next thing to give you that feeling of success. Not only that, When you don't have that feeling, what's the the only alternative to success? Failure, right? So now, you, particularly people who chase success, we make, and I'm gonna say we, because I was one of these people, we make who we are synonymous with whether or not we're successful. So if something goes right, great, we're successful. Not only is what we did successful, but who we are is successful. But the problem is, and that sounds great, but here's the problem. When they don't go the way they're supposed to go and it doesn't work, now not only is what we did a failure, but guess what? In our mind, we're a failure. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's all one and the same. So what, so what I realized is that Catholic priest removed the vocabulary of success and failure out of his whole frame of mind, through his way of thinking. He took it out and he said, I wasn't called to be successful. I was called to be faithful. And The question has to be, Faithful to what? Faithful to his purpose. Mm. The only time you can never fail is when you are going after purpose. There's no such thing as failure. Failure can't exist in purpose. can't. It can't. So what he was saying to the reporter was, and to the detective, it doesn't matter if certain things don't go right, because they won't go right. The only thing that matters is that I don't stop. Mm. That's it. As long as I don't stop and I remain consistent and faithful to what I believe my purpose is, I can never fail. Never. The only time you can put failure and purpose in the same sentence is when you stop going after your purpose.
0: Mm. That's it. I, I like that. I, and I forgot who, who I was listening to that, that said it's like, you know, and it's helped me a lot with my, my work too because like I had suffered from not being able to be still when I'm doing my work, but you know, really finding out that your work is, it's, it's not like the accolade after your, your six, the success or whatever word you want to use is the actual work. And for better or worse, you get to do it again tomorrow. God willing, you know? So I, I, I definitely, I definitely, um, that point also resonated with me real quick though. Even with that though, um, uh, on, on the on the topic of purpose and you know forward moving and momentum um touch on a little bit about disappointment I mean you know being in in uh <laughs> the real estate field and i <laughs> I, I certainly did last for for those to give you guys some context <laughs> I started um I think maybe like June. 2008 and if anybody's a student of history that was like the first downturn. (laughs) so my tenure in real estate was short-lived but you you definitely kept on um you know pressing forward and you know not to go into any great detail you actually um dealt with a lot of pain you know uh, initially um and that talk about talk about those disappointment um times and and you know the ugly parts, the, the, you know, and, and the, um, the resolution. That's yes,
1: man. That's, that's a deep question. Um, I think again, it goes back to the whole success versus failure or success, not success success versus purpose. I think for me, the fact that I was so success driven the moment when disappointment came, I was crushed because I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't have a purpose. I was my only, my only purpose for lack of a better term was to be successful, but that's not a purpose. That's not, that doesn't, that doesn't affect change in the world, right? So if if, if somebody's, or even in me as a person, right? So, or my family, right? So let's just say, I want to be, I want to make a lot of money. That's my purpose. Okay. So I make a lot of money. Then what? Like, what am I doing with this money? Like, how is this, how is this making me evolve into, to use Oprah's, you know, term that T.D. Jakes took, a higher version of myself, a better version of myself, the highest and best version of me. How does that do that? So getting the money is not enough. Getting success is not enough. Mm-hmm. That's not enough in and of itself. Because there's a lot of people who never make a whole bunch of money, but they're extremely successful at whatever their purpose is. Right? And that purpose could be, I'm supposed to raise my children. And they're going to be these great people in the world, but nobody's ever going to know my name except for through my children because that is my, and there are people, who take that very, this is my purpose in life, to raise my children. That's right. They're not making a lot of money, but the success is my kids have done more than I've done. They're honest people. Mind you, they don't have to be millionaires. They're just honest. They're just good parents themselves. They're just hard workers. They're, they went to school. Like it could just be, and that's successful, right? That's because it's purpose. It's not rooted in success, it's rooted in purpose, right? So I think the problem is, the problem for me was that I couldn't handle disappointment because once I realized that success wasn't in, within my reach anymore, now I'm a failure and now I don't know who I am anymore. Right? So I guess the thing is that I go into every situation knowing that something can and most likely will go wrong. Now I'm that way, yeah. right? Something will probably go wrong. When and if it does, it doesn't, it's not an existential crisis that I'm in now. It's not, oh my God, who am I or what am I? It's not that anymore. It's, okay, this happened. What do we need to do? All right, all right. It is what it is. I, re- I, I remove what's going on around me and I don't make it synonymous with what's going on inside. Of me. Mm. You
0: know
1: what and I'm saying? saying? I think that's the, so that's what I didn't know how to do at first. My faith taught me how to do that um, yep. and, and, and how to maintain that. Not only do it, but to maintain it. Um, so now, for me, you know, it was it was really just figuring out who I really was and what my purpose was,
0: right? What's that, and, mm-hmm. what's that journey? Because you know, a lot of these are um, they're they're personal terms, but they might be vague to the listener, right? Sure. So, could you give us kind of like any um uh, like underground examples of what that kind of self work looked like for you, Andy?
1: I think I just I just talked about it. So one of the things is making a conscious decision to not make who I am as a person synonymous with what I do or what I have or, or whether or not I succeed or not, I cannot make it. I can't make those two connected. They have to be separate because they are separate. They are separate. I am not my failures and I'm not my successes. either. We only want to Adam Smith, the uh, writer of wealth of nations. I have my issues with Adam Smith from a colonialist perspective and from a capitalist perspective, but um, he's one of the founding fathers of modern day capitalism. Uh, prior to him, he, he lived in a very mercantilist society where England only had colonies so they could have people to sell their goods to and create goods for them. So it was all about, you know, keeping everything in the pot for Britain, right? But he-, he They were
0: realized, vertically integrated.
1: Right. He, for lack of a better term. Uh, he realized we're leaving a lot of money on the table by not, you know, trading with other Countries and not, you know, opening up our markets, opening up, you know, the country and our colonies to other other countries, right? So anyway, he wrote *Wealth of Nations*, and he said something profound. He said, you know, countries parade their riches but conceal their poverty.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: People do the same thing: parade their riches but conceal their poverty, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think people rather be synonymous with their success. And the problem with that is when you do that, as I said before you are also subconsciously, and not even realizing it, you are also making yourself synonymous with your failures. So you can't just own the successes. You have to also own the failures. If you're going to make it you, I am my success, then you are also your failure. And that's a dangerous place because I have been in 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 a long depression. I've been in a deep depression over stuff like this. And when you make yourself synonymous with success, and you, and you unknowingly also, at the same time, make yourself synonymous with your failures, when, not if, when you fail, depending on your support system, your personality, your experience, uh, where you are spiritually, and emotionally, you may, you may not come out of it. Mm-hmm. You, or, or, or it would take you so long to get out of it that you might miss out on so much that you, weren't, that you really shouldn't have because you, you, got, you fell into a hole so deep that you didn't realize you dug just by making who you are synonymous with what you achieve achieved or how you failed. And so the most concrete way I could really say it to the audience is don't make who you are synonymous with what you've done or with what you have. It's a very dangerous proposition. That's why a billionaire would jump, or oh, not even a billionaire, a, a, a regular little old millionaire right? Regular million, they would jump out of, out of, out of a window if, if and when the stock market crashes. Why? Because they made who they are synonymous with what they have. Mm. And when what I have is gone or is taken, because it can be, and in many cases it is, now I'm in a crisis.
2: I, w- I want to sw- switch gears, but I got one last question on that topic, because I actually want to talk about we got all these you know, creators and small businesses that follow us um but my last uh um um yeah my last question on on this topic is um that's so hard to do like I call like the cuz you know we we all like fall victim of the I call the I call the world the matrix right like social media I call all that shit the matrix once I got to a certain level of doing things and I got to like you know see what was behind the curtain. I naturally like wanted to be more low key. Like I enjoy being low key, you know what I mean? Um, how, what is the, how do you do that? How do you not become, how do you not become your successes or your fails when everybody is judging judging by that? I'm talking yeah. about from your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your girl, your man, whoever. Everybody is looking at it like, you know, even like you go places, the second question of like, hey, um, who are you is what you do. So how, do you unplug?
1: Uh-huh.
2: how do you unplug from that? You know what I mean? Well, how, how, how does one or how you yeah. suggest things that work Powerful for you?
1: Powerful question, man. It's, you're right. That's a, it's a very hard thing to do, especially for creatives, entrepreneurs. Although I'm in real estate, uh, primarily, you know, I do a lot of other creative things, you know, uh, from, you know, I write, you know, I'm working on two movies, I, you know, there's, there's really a lot of things that I do outside of just, you know, typical boring, you know, sort of numbers on the spreadsheet. Um, yeah. And I'm also, you know, I was a musician, so I'm really, I'm a weird guy. I'm not just, you know, one thing. But um, it's a very hard thing to do. Because, and here's why it's so hard. Here's one of the reasons why it's so hard, especially for creatives, because you're so passionate about what you do. And what you do comes out of who you are here's the thing i was just telling somebody the other day they they uh they they're in real estate um not our persuasion not not uh part of our our tribe one of our lighter skin brothers uh cool. and he's in real estate makes a lot of money he, he makes you know 900 million bucks a year one of my old partners you know makes a lot of money but is miserable right so i'm like bro, what do you really wanna do with your life? If money, money isn't an issue for you, but let's say you never had to worry about money even before you started making all this money. What would you have done with your life? And he said, um, I always wanted to be an actor. And I was like, I was shocked. He was like, I'm just gonna be an actor. I'm like, you wanna be an actor? He's like, yeah. i was like, so why don't you do it? He goes, I, I don't know. I just, I mean, I'm not gonna, who's gonna, like if I'm not gonna be on a big play, I'm not gonna be in a movie. I said, whoa, 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 stop. This is the problem with creatives, right? With with many of us. I said to him, you don't ever have to win an Oscar. You don't ever have to see your name on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. You just have to get it out of you. That is the success and purpose. We're worried as creatives about where the stuff lands. We're worried about what people are going to say about it. We're worried about how it's going to be received. And that is how we judge whether or not we're successful or whether or not we're purposeful, really successful, because that's not even purpose, not even in the conversation at that point. But here's where the shift in being about success versus being about purpose comes in. It doesn't matter what this person says about it. It doesn't matter where it lands if you win a Grammy, if you win an Oscar. I just need to be truthful about the gift that's in me. And I need to give it enough honor to let it get out of me. I just have to do it. Regardless of where, even if people never see it, I just have to get it out of me. That is, I think that's the difference between purpose and success or the, or the mentality behind it. When you're, when you're worried about success and you're freaking out because, oh my gosh, you know, this, you know no, nobody's picking up my music. Nobody's doing this. and Nobody's seeing me. Nobody's giving me the opportunity. And, and those are all legitimate things that you have to really deal with. But when it becomes only about that, primarily, and not about the fact that, wow, I just painted that. Wow, I just recorded that. Not that you shouldn't try to get signed, not that you shouldn't try to get a distribution deal, that, that doesn't mean you shouldn't try to get your artwork in a gallery, no. But it starts with recognizing the fact that I do have this purpose, and for me, it ends in, in me. Not my work doesn't end, but my, my mental process ends, my spiritual process ends with me getting it out of me. Let the people do with it whatever they will within the confines that I allow, of course. But that's how, that's how, that's how I do it. Because then at that point, it doesn't matter how the lab, what the label say. Look at, look at, look at Look at Chance the Rapper. His thing was the labels were trying to, he wanted to sidestep the labels. He was like, you know what? I'm just going to get it out. Yep. I'm just going to get it out. And let the people decide. I did my job. I got it out of me. I'm just gonna write the book. I'm just gonna write the movie. I just gotta get, I gotta get it out of me. And then when it's out of me, wherever it lands, it lands.
2: 100%. I used to always have this quote that I used to say, like, yeah, if you have, if you have the gift, create, no matter who, I used to tell Franz that shit all the time. Franz is a rapper guys. if y'all don't know. He got music out there too. So if you have the gift, if you have the gift, create 100%. Um, I wanna switch gears real good. Real quick and get to these bra- get to these bags. Now we can talk about some success. <laughs> <laughs> right after that. You know what I'm saying? Right after that. <laughs> you still gotta eat. You still gotta eat. <laughs> right. Y'all done got the spiritual healing and spiritual food. Now we need that other food. You know what I mean? We need that. Right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, bro. Um, well, for you've always gravitated towards real estate from day one. It's kind of like you know, the, you know how real estate is like a, a a trending thing now, where like, you know, you got your got your jay morrisons you got your other cats you've been on it what year was that oh seven oh eight um even (laughs) earlier than that probably like you've been on it from day one like you knew this was a sure path to wealth Mm -hmm. land property Mm -hmm. explain the thought behind that explain why as african americans owning property and having real estate is um is is in our um best interests and um if you can, not even at the end of that, just talk about like, um, how do you go about even just getting into the investment game as far as real estate as well?
1: Sure. Great question. So you're right. Um, you know, I, I started my first business in the first grade, so I've always been entrepreneurially minded and business minded. My father and my mother always had me on that tip. I was just born like this, quite frankly, to be honest with you. Um, so real estate really, for me, what I noticed was this, Here's what always intrigued me about real estate, even as a kid. I come from Eastern New York, Brooklyn. Those of you who don't know what that is or where that is, just think about any hood in the country that's like a legit hood, that's Eastern New York, Brooklyn. Like, you know, you don't want to be out past a certain time. You don't want to walk down certain blocks. You got to know people in order to come to that neighborhood. If you don't know nobody from that neighborhood, good luck, especially if you come in after hours. That's where I come from. Um, And what I noticed was a lot of, like a lot of, you know, drug dealers that I knew growing up, a lot of it, like the gangbangers that I knew as a kid, I noticed that you know they would kill each other over territory, over land, over like space, right? And after all that drama would go down, the cops would come, the landlord or whoever was there who owned the property would sweep them off and then they would be gone. They would go to jail, or whatever. And I was like, wait a minute. It just clicked for me as a kid. I was like, so you don't own any of this, but yet you're willing to kill for it. And it's not even yours. You just made yourself believe you have some entitlement to it because psychologically you need to feel as a man that you have some kind of control over your surroundings. But in reality, you don't because you don't own it. And at that age, I learned at a very early age that whoever owns the land makes the rules. Mm. It's that simple. If you don't own the land, you don't make the rules. I saw friends get evicted. I saw friends, you know, get thrown out of their apartments. I'm like, but don't you look? And then I read, oh, they don't own it. Now that's a very plain sort of uh, understanding of it. But let's ratchet it up a little bit. If you don't own the community, then you can't decide definitively what comes in or what doesn't come in to that community. You can't decide what type of schools you get. You don't decide what type of hospitals, the quality of hospitals, you don't decide what businesses can come and what businesses can't because you don't own. You don't own. When you own, I can say, you know what? No, no, I don't want these types of businesses in my community. When you own because you pay taxes on what you own, you now have a a much more powerful voice with the politicians and you can decide what those dollars, those tax dollars go towards when you own. When you don't own, you don't make the rules. It's that simple. I always tell people. I hate to hear people tell me, "Oh, you know we need to seat at the table." No, I don't need to seat at your table. I'm going to get my own spot with my own table, and I'll invite to the table who I want at the table.
0: Mm-hmm. Period.
1: And that's and that's how that's how I function, right? But in but in order to do that, you have to have an ownership mentality, right? I don't want I don't want to be invited to your table. I'm going to invite you or maybe not <laughs> to my table. Sorry. So. That's how I look at it, right? So I, I think it, it's, it's imperative that black and brown people own uh, for the creation of generational wealth. The number one way of, of generating wealth in this country has always been in real estate. That's just what it's been. 80% of, of, of all wealth in this country has come through inheritance and not just inheritance of money, mainly inheritance of real estate. Mm. Because real estate always appreciates West Philadelphia, we have about almost 200 properties in West Philadelphia right now. And in West Philadelphia, property values have gone up over 1,000% over the last 10 to 15 years alone. Mm. Alone. So that value appreciation, if you owned 15 years ago and you just held on to that property, if you paid whatever you paid for, it, it's worth now 1,000% more than what you paid for 10, 15 years. ago, And that Increase in value, I can now use to pass on to my children, to pull that money out from the property as in a refinance, take that money, start a business, send my kids to school, buy another house, buy several more houses, do whatever. Now I create a generational level. So that's why, that's how our other light skinned brothers and sisters have have done it. And it's it's much deeper than that, but just specific to this, this conversation in real estate that's how they've done it. It's that simple. It's not that that they're better. They just had the opportunity and the exposure to information that we didn't have. Um, and now, and now, you know, we're in a position where we can actually move in that direction. Right? So that's why I think it's important to answer your last question about how does somebody do it? So we answered why it's important. Now let's talk about, um, how do you do it? I I think it's simple. So the the most simplest way is listen, buy a house, right? If you, you have to, you need three things. You need to show income. We need to show good credit and good credit means literally right now, like literally over 6:20, 6:30. So not amazing credit, but these de- credit, right? Yep. And then lastly, some money in the bank. That has some savings. If you have those three things, you can get approved for a loan and buy a house. Now, Brandon, what kind of house should I buy? Or where should I buy it? You ask good questions. You should buy a house in an area where you either currently live or you have family or people that you trust or have really good relationships with. Uh, that if you don't live there, it's easy for you to get to it, or you have people that you really, really trust that are really, really responsible. I don't really like relying on other people for this type of stuff, so I would really say if this is your first property ever, get something that you can get to or you live in. Do not buy a single family. Do not buy a condo or a co-op. Don't do it. Why, Brandon? You ask good questions. The reason why you shouldn't do it is because if you have a single family, single family means there's only one unit in that house. Only one family can live in that house. There's only, you know, one kitchen, two bathrooms, possibly three or four bedrooms, whatever in the basement. That's it, right? Get a multifamily. You should get a multifamily if it's your first property, because you can, if you have at least a a, a property that has two apartments in it or two units in it, you can live in one and rent out the other one. I don't want to be a landlord. I hear you. I hear you through Zoom. I hear you through the podcast. I hear you. You don't want to be a landlord. Well, guess what? If you want to make money, scared money don't make money. That's just the way it goes. There's risk in any kind of investment you do—stock market, real estate. There's always risk, right? But if but if yep. you want to put your put your big boy, big girl pants on, then this is this is just what it is, right? And there's ways to insulate yourself from bad tenant. It's not always going to be 100% foolproof. Sometimes you get some good folks. Sometimes you get some folks in between. And sometimes you get some horrible people, and you got to kick them out. That's just this is just what it is. But there's ways to anticipate that and prepare yourself for it. Separate conversation. But. You want to have a, at least a two-family. And guess what? If you fall on hard times, and let's say you lose your job or um, you got to move, you can keep the property, live in the basement go live, or go move in with your mother and rent out both sides. Now you got income coming in to pay for the mortgage and give you some income to put in your pocket. If you have a single family, it's much harder to rent out a single family, first of all, because it's much bigger in most cases. And there's, and, and there's a smaller pool of people that want a single family that can even afford it. You wanna get a multi-family that can support, you can get income coming in to support you paying the mortgage every month, even if you live next door or live in the building or not. Right. Then once you do that, you hold on to that building. Do not sell it. That's one of the biggest mistakes I made in my 20s. I bought a whole bunch of stuff and sold it. Wrong move. Because when the market shifts, you're stuck with a whole bunch of property that you were trying to flip. Flipping is dangerous. It's cool, you could, you could do some quick hits here and there, but it's not a sustainable business model. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not. Reason why it's not is because when the market crashes, like it did in 08, as Ron said, you got all these properties that you wanted to flip, but now the market crashed, the banks aren't lending to anyone, so no one can buy your property. So now you're stuck paying interest on money that you use to buy the property and to renovate the property that you can't sell. That's what happened to me. It's one of the things that happened, right? So flipping is not a sustainable business model. As a matter of fact, real estate investment companies are worth 16 to 18 times their cash flow. So what does that mean? It means that if I, if I have a portfolio of properties that I have that I have rental income from flipping properties is not income. It's not consistent income. It's a one time hit. That's it. It's like a lot of Right, so one time hit when I rent properties out, I have consistent cash flow every month. I can take that cash flow to the bank, the bank will value that cash flow. And if let's say I have a million dollars in cash flow for my rental income, I'm worth about 15, 16 million dollars. Now, why is that important? Because now I can borrow not against the million dollars, I can borrow against the 16 million dollars. So now I can, with, with that income, I can now say, I want to go do this $10 million development in Brooklyn. And the bank will say, all right, cool. You're going to collateralize it with the million dollars that I get in income every month, every year from my portfolio over here. In exchange, I'll give you $10 million. Here you go. Mm
0: -hmm. Now go do whatever you need to do. And what's ill about that? Huh? To interject, what's ill about that is um, I was talking to my friend, Anzu, and he... um, He's a PM at LendLease.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he was saying that I I had no idea if people did this. First you get a construction loan, and then after the building is built, you can go back for uh refinance. Like a, a refinance. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I, I thought that was I thought that was really interesting. Um, in terms of in terms of um finances, before we get to your your uh your light rock um business, in terms of financing like how much money should somebody have in the bank, you know, when they're um, going to look for a, a loan? And what are some, like, incidental costs that people should think about, um, you know, when going to buy a home?
1: If you're going to live in the house, you're going to want 20% down. Now, if it's a, that's a conventional loan. With an FHA loan, which is a federally insured loan, you can pretty much get into a house with as low as, like, 3.75%. So you would, like if the house costs, you know, 10 grand, you would only need, or 100 grand, you only need about 3,700 3, bucks, four grand, right? right. Just nothing. Um, so, you know, but the problem is you, you get a higher priced uh, loan, which means that your monthly payments are gonna be higher because it's a federally insured loan, and you have to pay more. I'm not gonna talk about what the terms are, but you gotta pay more basically because it's, it's a federally insured loan. When you, have, when you put 20% down, your, your monthly payment is going to be much lower than it would have been if you only put 3.75% down, right? So if you, put up, if you put more money up and it's not an FHA loan, you get lower monthly payment. The trade-off there is it's easier to get an FHA loan. The standards aren't as high. So if you really want to get into something, you can still do the FHA loan as long as you know that the property can support and your income can support those monthly payments, um, if it's, if it's a property you're not going to live in and it's going to be an investment property that needs work, you got to you know, rehab it and put work into it. Typically you, you go about that two different ways. There's, there's a regular, there's what's called a 203k loan. A 203k loan is a loan that you get to buy it and to renovate it. Right. Um, and typically 203k is really for you to live in it. So let me just throw that out there. You really are supposed to live in the property. So let me just make that. Clear. I don't want really to seem like I'm trying to have y'all skirt around the laws, but a lot of people do otherwise. But anyway, um, the real way you would do that is with hard money, right? It's a term called hard money. Hard money is basically a loan at really higher interest rates. So the cost of the money is much higher. So whereas with a regular loan from a bank, from a Chase bank to buy a property, you're going to pay four or 5% interest. With a hard money loan, you're paying 10, 11, 12% interest. Plus, you know, points. Points is like, you know, like a fee, right, on top of that, right? So, but those loans are for you to buy it, renovate it real quick, and get, get out of that loan, refinance that loan once you renovate it. So you still need to show that those same three things, income, credit, and some money in the bank to get the hard money loan, too. Uh, it's a little different, but that's kind of how that goes. So with the hard money loan, you got to actually put up, now you got to put up a little more than just, it depends on who you go to. Some people, they'll still, you only need 20% uh if you haven't been doing it for long and this is your first time you might have to put up more but there's a ton of hard money companies out there that you can google and talk to them to see what rate they can give you
2: gotcha also when it comes to investments um let's say especially in the market like new york i mean it's a little difficult especially for investments i mean like i think the cheapest you probably get like is a half a mil but like how what, what are your thoughts on um investing out of town out of state let's say if you You have some family in ATL or family, and they, you know, there's a the prices are way lower down there. You're able to invest, and and um, maybe maybe it is a single family, and you can get it rented real quick. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Should people stay away from investing out of their own state or a little bit further down the way? But if it's a good deal, it's a good deal.
1: I I think it's a good question. So I'm I've already moved out of state and doing stuff out of state. So I'm not against it. But the difference between me and you know somebody who's just starting is that. I have a whole infrastructure around what I'm doing. So it's a whole business. So We have a whole office in Philadelphia. We have a whole team in Philadelphia that's on payroll. That's, that's, you know, rehabbing these things, managing the tenants. I mean, finding properties, all of that. So we have a whole infrastructure. So I don't need to be in these other places, right? So if you're just starting out, I don't think it's a good idea to, to, to buy in an area. Now, listen, do what you want to do. But just my personal opinion, my professional opinion is you want to be you want to be where you where your real estate is when you're starting out because you don't know what you're doing. yet. You don't know what you're doing. And you don't know all the lessons that you got to learn. And it's hard to do that when you're 500 miles away. 200 miles away. It's hard to do that. So my suggestion is to do it within driving distance. So it doesn't have to necessarily if you're in New York, it doesn't have to necessarily be New York. It could be or it doesn't have to be the city. It could be upstate. It could be New Jersey. It could be Connecticut. It could be Philly, Pennsylvania. Something that's within you know you could get to your property in a good two hours. I don't Anything more than that, I think is going to be too much.
2: Because you probably can't put all your trust in a property manager just yet. Absolutely
1: you- not, especially if you're just starting out. Because property managers know how to know how to rob if they if they if they're unscrupulous and, and they you know they're not honest, which unfortunately many are not. And there's a lot of crooks in this business. Love property managers. This is no you no know, slight to property managers, but you know if you don't know what you're doing and you find a property manager that's going to take advantage of you they're going to take money from you. So you got to know what you're doing. And you have, so the best way is to, to just kind of really be close to your property, as close as
0: possible. For sure. We want to um, do our best to keep you on time because I know you have got a limited time left with you. But um, real quick, can you tell us about uh, Flume Internet? The Internet is, you know, for sure a public good. Um, it's something that connects us all uh, monetarily, information-wise. And you have a, a, a magnificent initiative um, and from internet, can you uh tell us a little bit more about that?
1: yeah, man so uh you know we've uh we've seen the the dependence on internet explode. It's always been big obviously um and only increasing, but uh this you know covid took it to a whole other level where you know people are even more dependent on it because they're home and they gotta keep the kids you know remote with remote learning you got to keep them occupied Maybe you're trying to do work or trying to look for a job. And you're online. Everybody's streaming. So you need not just reliable internet. You need affordable internet. And what we realize is that a lot of folks in um, New York, a lot of folks all over. Whether you are, uh, you know, a high income earner or you are unemployed and you live in in public housing, um, you know, you're paying a lot for the internet. And a lot of times, particularly in public housing, you're getting you're paying a lot for internet that you, that's not really reliable. Uh, and so we saw that. And we decided to, to do this. I've been dibbling and dabbling in this for the last two years and decided to, to, to really launch um, recently. And um, we, we, we were able to secure uh, a few government contracts to provide uh, wireless Internet service to um, a lot of families uh, here in New York who, a lot of them have to go to McDonald's to get internet service for their kids to you know, do their schoolwork or for them to do any kind of work at all because you know their building just doesn't have good internet. Um, and so, or they can't afford it, right? So we've been able to create a, a system and a product that allows us to provide that internet to everybody really, but especially to uh, folks who, and really fast, lightning, and it's lightning fast internet that really you would only find in really luxury buildings. We're able to provide that same kind of level of service uh, for nothing really, to be honest with you, very, very low cost. Uh, and that's what we're doing. And uh, There's a lot of opportunity in it to help a lot of people and for it to be very, very profitable. So I'm really excited about it.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. You know, what, 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 what I love um, hearing about these type of businesses too, because, you know, we're in the culture marketing spaces. So, you know, a lot of it, you know, is, you know, millennials is, is, is sexy, the type of things and whatnot. And, I love hearing about these different type of businesses because they just mean that, you know, they just equate to, to this long term wealth. Like we, our last podcast, we had um, um, this lady who um, is very successful who for the last 20 years running her own insurance company. And she deals with a lot of high net worth um, clients and individuals. And she talked about her journey and that. And I love to see more of our people. And she was talking about how one of her clients like is a, is a rug owner he owns um, a rug company and, you know, he's traveled the world and built wealth off of this. And I just love to hear about these different businesses that I think just people of color, like our communities need to be tapped into because it's just so much money out there, not in just what we, what we used to hearing, especially with hip hop that has such a great influence and so much money in all these different type of industries. And um, somebody like you who's able to do it all, like from the creative side to business side, um, that's a very, uh, a very unique skill set, man. So yeah, we are happy to have you on a podcast brother for you sharing our knowledge. I know this is going to get a lot of hits. Um, um, and yeah, I think I'm good on the questions. How about you friend?
0: Uh just one last question. So we asked all of our guests this, um, what drives you? I think I answered that in the first part. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, it did. Well, give us a, give us a nice soundbite, man. Give you a nice sign off. There's only pastor Gibson can.
1: Oh boy. Uh, we didn't even talk about me being that. You just, you just threw me out of there. Um, yeah, man. Um, purpose drives me, man. I just want to die empty. That's it. I just want to die empty. I wanna. I don't want to leave here. My father says, you know, the, the richest place on on the planet is the graveyard. Um, and I, and I I didn't understand why he would say that until I grew up. I used to think he. I, th- I used to think what he meant was people buried their loved ones with jewelry, so it's rich. That's what I thought. And then as I got older, I realized what he meant. Um, There's so much untapped potential that's buried six feet under. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't want to make the graveyard any richer than it already is. And when my time is up, I want to be able to, when I breathe my last breath, that last breath is literally all I've got left, is that last breath. I'm leaving it all here. I'm not taking it
2: with me. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to leave it all here. And so I just want to get it out of me. I hear that. I hear that, There you have it. I, love so, I, learned, I learned so much from this brother. That story you told, too, about the faithful, I actually did remember that story. And I remember when you told me in your kitchen years ago, and it stared, stayed with me, and I shared that story with with other people, too, as well. It definitely helped shape my decisions around my purpose um, multiple times. So, yeah, I appreciate that, B. Appreciate you having coming on the podcast, brother. My pleasure, man. I love you guys. I'm proud of what
1: you're doing, and uh, keep going, man. Love it.